Cedar Street, I, I love you very much, and I'm grateful to be with you here this morning. If you weren't here last week, we, uh, we're on a new journey together, and we're in a new sermon series that I've been wanting to preach uh, since God called me to preach. It's one of my favorite sections of Scripture in John 13 through 17, and the title of our sermon series is Return to the Upper Room, Leaning in Closely to Hear the Very Heartbeat of Jesus from his last words at his last supper. Again, we're going to be looking at five different chapters. And here's what I said last week. I just want to give you a real quick snapshot so you can catch up to where we are today for those who weren't here last week, is that the Apostle John is just a unique contributor to the Scriptures in so many different ways. All writers of the Bible have been inspired of the Holy Spirit, but John also had a unique experience of intimacy with Jesus. He was known as the apostle whom Jesus loved, uh, the beloved disciple or the beloved apostle, different ways of explaining that. He was part of the inner circle along with his, uh, his brother James and the apostle Peter. For three years of earthly ministry, Jesus consistently pulled him aside and poured into him in ways that he didn't with the other uh, apostles. John was with him at the Mount of Transfiguration to see him transfigured in glory with Moses and Elijah. And when all the apostles were scattering on, on Good Friday, guess who was at the foot of the cross? And guess who Jesus entrusted for his mother to be taken care of? It was John. So John has a unique ability to be able to speak into the very heartbeat of Jesus and certainly inspired of the Holy Spirit. And what I said last week is, He uses a certain device when he's writing, a certain technique. He goes from the telescope to the microscope, all right? So to go from the identity to the mission to the heart of Jesus, he starts all the way in the very beginning about the identity of Jesus. He says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's starting off with saying, this is who Jesus is. He's the Word, which means the logic, reason, and wisdom of God wrapped in flesh and bones. Then he zeroes in on three years of earthly ministry and he talks about these seven great signs, all right, these seven miracles strung together like pearls on a necklace that that show that he is, in fact, the Messiah. But then he zeroes in even further in John 13, which is where we started last week, and now he's focusing in on the final week of Jesus. We call that the Passion Week. But now he's zeroing in even more in the microscope and he's going to spend five chapters and 155 verses on one single meal. So if the apostle whom Jesus loved, who spent the most amount of time with Jesus, spends the most amount of time talking about Jesus in this one meal, perhaps we should spend some more time returning to the upper room. And so we started last week with just one verse In verse 1 of John 13, talking about the covenant love of Jesus, it said that he loved them to the end. He loved them to the final drop in the cup, to the edge of the cliff, to the final second on the clock, to the final breath in his lungs. He loved them to the end, and if you're a Christian, he loves you the same way. Today, as we uh, continue in John 13, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 17, and we're going to be talking about the towel. In fact, the title of our message here this morning is Taking Our Towel. Taking Our Towel. We're going to be learning about 
what true life is like and should be in the kingdom of God. And if you don't know this, when you read the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, as Jesus comes on the scene in the four gospels, and he keeps talking about the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is near, and he begins to teach and preach and for three years share this gospel, this good news that he was coming to bring a new kingdom. One of the things that we learn quickly in the words of Jesus that caught people off guard is his kingdom is the exact opposite of everything we know about the kingdom of this world. In fact, I've heard people say over the years, in the kingdom of God, the way up is down. All right, in, in the kingdom of the world, the way up is up, okay? You wanna climb a ladder, you gotta step on whoever you gotta step on to, to take the next rung on the ladder. It's dog eat dog. It is stick your chest out. It is get as much as you can. It is making it all about advancement. And Jesus comes on the scene and says the very opposite. Jesus said, that's not the kind of kingdom that I'm building, that's not the kind of kingdom that I'm building. And it's a unique uh, passage in other gospels, and I'm gonna read the one out of Matthew, where the disciples start learning this in an interesting way. There's a scene in Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, where the mother of John and James, okay, two of the men of the inner circle, goes to Jesus and says, you know, basically, you've been walking with my sons. Can you set it up to where when you, they come into your kingdom, one's going to be on your left and one's going to be on your right, all right? Now, don't tell me no, the mamas in South Georgia wouldn't try to do the same thing, all right? They were, she was looking out for her sons, all right? That's mama bear. But here's what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was telling them who he is. He was telling them what his mission was. And he was telling them the type of kingdom he was inviting them into in that statement. And that's kind of where we're headed today because he does the same thing there, here in the upper room, but he does it with this beautiful portrait of a servant's towel. And I want you to be thinking about a towel and what it really means as we walk through this because it has a lot of meaning and purpose. We're gonna be talking in so many different ways about how this towel represents Jesus who saves us and Jesus who shows us. All right, the towel has multiple meanings and that's what we're gonna look at. Our big idea as we walk through uh, John 13 verses two through 17 in one sentence, Jesus takes our towel in humility to demonstrate the true nature and purpose of his eternal kingdom. Jesus takes our towel in humility to demonstrate the true nature and purpose of his eternal kingdom. So Cedar Street, if you want to know more about this towel that Jesus has taken for us and that he hands back to us to take from him, would you join me by turning to the book of John, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you on page 1069 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we are in John chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 2 through 17. Hear God's word to us through his servant John. During supper, 
when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who's bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, bring us right now into the upper room. Quiet our hearts and minds and all the distractions. Bring us to the table. Let us hear the words of Jesus. Let us see him taking off his outer garments right now and reaching out and taking a servant's towel and wrapping it around his waist. And let us see him drop to his knees. And let us hear the, the sound of water being poured into a basin. And let us see him look up at his disciples as he holds their dirty feet in his hands. And let us see our feet in his hands. And let us see him put his outer garments back on and take the rightful place at the honored seat at the table and instruct us about who He is, about what He's done, and about His heart. Help us, Lord, to enter into this moment to receive what You have for us, that we would take our towel for You. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So we're in the upper room together. We're going to be there for a while. And here is what we need to picture in our hearts and minds. All right? They're setting aside the second room of a nameless house in Jerusalem right outside the Zion Gate. And they're, they're getting ready for this Passover meal. And I just want you in your mind to picture they're climbing the steps to go into the room and they're seated at the table. And that's exactly where we are. 
Now, what's the heart of the disciples as they walk into that room? The heart of the disciples is they're pursuing a powerful new kingdom that they don't quite understand. All right, as the disciples earlier in the week were with Jesus as he rode into town on a donkey and people were bowing before him with palm branches saying, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what they were thinking? This is good. Jesus is coming into the holy city and as soon as he gets among the religious leaders and they see his mission, they're gonna make him king of the Jews and he's gonna overtake Rome and a new kingdom is coming. And over and over, Jesus kept telling them, that's not the kind of kingdom I'm building. But that's what the disciples were thinking. And certainly we know one disciple who was thinking that. His name is Judas Iscariot. And as Satan entered into Judas, and we'll see this in great detail in future weeks, Judas was leaving to make people aware of where Jesus was because Judas thought, if I can just get Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, they're gonna see who he is and they're gonna anoint him king of the Jews. Even Jesus told him that's not the way it's gonna be, but Judas would not listen. So the heart of the disciples is they want to be part of a great kingdom and they want to be known as great in the kingdom. And Jesus says, well, this is a new opportunity to teach them that my kingdom is a little different. So as we think about the heart of Jesus walking into this room, I want you to picture this. They walked into this empty room and typically in rooms like this in the first century, there would have been a house servant who would have greeted them and would have washed their feet. Now, ironically, there was no house servant. But you know what we know that there is for sure? There was a towel and there was a basin and there was water. And so that says to us, there was an expectation that somebody should have taken up that towel and should have been washing the disciples' feet. It should have been one of the disciples. But they were too busy thinking about their greatness in the kingdom of God, and so Jesus, the master, sitting at the, the, the honored seat at the table, he's the one who gets up. He's the one who rises. And he's the one who prepares to teach. And so when we think of this towel, I want you to think about it as our salvation and our service. Jesus wants to save us and to show us. There's two dimensions of what this towel represents as we walk through this together. So I want us to look at three reasons that Jesus takes our towel. Here's the first. Number one, Jesus takes our towel to join us. Jesus takes our towel to join us. And I get that from verses two through five, but I just want you to think for just a moment. Watch the movements here in verses two through five. I'm not gonna read all the verses, but I wanna show you the movements. Jesus, again, is the master of this feast, but he rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, he took a towel, he got on his hands and knees, and he was washing the feet of the disciples. What towel ultimately did Jesus take in demonstrating this? He took on the towel of humanity. Jesus is the master and he became the servant. Jesus had on the, the outer garments of the master, but he took the towel of the servants that were surrounding him. And that's what he did from eternity past, make a decision to come and be one of us. Scholars believe this is a perfect mirror, John 13, with Philippians 2. 
And in Philippians 2, verses six through eight, hear the words of Paul. Though he, meaning Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus decided to become one of us and he shows us in the towel. Now I wanna make a very important distinction here. This has been an issue in church history for 2,000 years. So I want to be crystal clear. Jesus Christ is fully God and Jesus Christ is fully man. And there was a moment in time and space where he became a man, but he has always been God. There is not a single moment where he ceased to be God and he will be God and now be man for eternity to come. And it's important for us to know that. It's important for us to know that because if you read Philippians 2 and you hear that he emptied himself, there are, there are heretics who will go so far as to say that when he took on his humanity, he ceased to be God. And that robs him of glory in so many different ways. It robs him of glory. You know, here's, in my own words, how I want to explain this. When Jesus became human... He laid aside enjoying the privileges of his deity to endure the poverty of our humanity. That's what he did. He did not cease to be God. All right, think about the portrait in the upper room. He did not cease to be the master. He set aside his outer garments and his honored seat at the table to lower himself and be one of us, but the entire time he was there, he was still the master washing the feet of the disciples. And you know how I know that? He got up, he put the outer garments back on, and he went back to his seat at the table. So we need to know that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and when he came down to be one of us, he did not in any way stop being God. What he did was set aside some privileges so he could fully enter into what it means to be human. He took the towel to join us, to be one of us. Not only that, number two, Jesus takes our towel to cleanse us. To cleanse us. I get that from verses six through 11. He has to wash us and make us clean and he's the only one who can wash us and make us completely clean the way that we want to be, the way that God commands for us to be. Now, why is it that only Jesus can cleanse us? Well, only Jesus is the one who is fully clean And Jesus is the only one who took on our dirt and exchanged it for his cleanliness. All right? We get that from uh, so many different passages in Scripture. One of the perfect ones is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, again, think of the upper room. Him who was the master became the servant. Him who was clean took on the dirt of those who were unclean so that those who were unclean would know his cleanliness. He had to be perfect to take on our sin and to be the worthy lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is a portrait of the holy requirements of God. So let me just try to boil it down and make it as simple as I can. When you die, you will stand before God at judgment 
And as I said last week, it is not his will that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance because God desires everyone to be with him in his kingdom. But when you die and stand before the Lord, the demand that he will have on you to enter into his eternal kingdom is perfect holiness. Thoughts, words, actions, attitudes from the moment you were born to the moment that you die, God is saying, I will not compromise the perfection of my kingdom. I demand perfection. And everybody in this room says, well, we're in trouble without Jesus. But Jesus was perfect for us. Again, not a sinful thought, not a sinful word, not a sinful action, not even a sinful attitude of heart. Jesus had to live that out for 33 years, perfectly earning all the righteousness that we needed. And then he took on all the punishment that we deserved on the cross. And so he symbolizes this by the towel that he wraps around his waist. He's fully clean. He is the master, but he becomes a servant and he takes on dirt so that we would be made clean by the master himself. He takes our towel to cleanse us. And and, and if you didn't catch this, look at verse eight. In verse eight, Peter, being Peter, can't wait to meet the apostle Peter in heaven. Uh, There's only one. And that's my namesake, by the way. Um, before I, total side note, before I got saved, my grandfather, uh, used to, he never called me Bo till he died. He called me Peter, which is my legal name. And he said, Peter, I'm not going to call you Bo because I don't find Bo in Scripture, but I see a lot of Peter in the Scriptures. <laughs> I hope I have not quite lived exactly the life that Peter has lived, but I tell you what, um, God did a work through Peter and he's doing a work through all of us. Peter says, Lord, or let me just say, uh, you shall never wash my feet. You know, it was um, Shane Black during Life Action, I think that pointed out this passage. And he said, there's two words in one statement you should never hear together, Lord and no. When Jesus is your Lord, the answer is yes. But he said no. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, listen closely. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Eternally speaking, Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that can make you clean. I'm the only one that can earn your perfection. I'm the only one that can take your sin. And if I don't cleanse you, you have no place with me in my kingdom. And then Peter is Peter and says, all right, clean me from head to toe. And Jesus says, all right, you're walking with me in faith. You are clean, but not all of you. Uh, There's one named Judas, and again, there'll be an entire sermon set aside for Judas. But Jesus takes our towel to cleanse us, and he's the only one that can do it. So Jesus takes our towel to join us. Jesus takes our towel to cleanse us. Third and finally, Jesus takes our towel to show us. Now, let me say this. What I'm about to share is, is what most people say is the main point of the passage. I don't think it's, I think it's one of three things, of course. So I don't want to elevate this higher than it should be, but I also don't want to decrease how important it is. What happened in the upper room is more important than Jesus just, just teaching us a good moral lesson. But let's not, let's not skirt past the fact that Jesus is teaching us and then showing us what life in the kingdom of God is all about. 
It says in verse 14, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Liberal scholars and non-believers make Jesus out to be nothing but a good moral teacher that came here to tell us to do good things. He did a lot more than that, and I hope you caught that in the first few minutes of this message. But in the final minutes of this message, again, let's, let's admit that Jesus is a teacher that doesn't just say, do as I say, not as I do. He says, do as I say and do as I do. If you look at the, the three-year earthly ministry of Jesus in the four Gospels, he's constantly teaching and showing, teaching and showing, teaching and showing. And that's what he's doing right here. He's teaching and showing. He practices what he preaches. And basically what he says is, you've just seen what I expect of you in the kingdom of God. And if I'm your master, and no servant is greater than his master, then I expect you to put into practice what you just saw. And in 2022 terms, what does that look like? You know, because I know that we typically, uh, there may be some churches, many of you come from different traditions that have had foot washing ceremonies, but the reason why it kind of has fallen, you know, it, it's lost on us a little bit in 2022 is we're not walking around Palestine with sandals on. Okay, so how does this apply to us? Here's how it applies. If you say you're a Christian and you really want to be great in his kingdom and you want to be a part of his kingdom, you have to look at every single person sitting next to you, in front of you and behind you, as greater than you are yourself. And you have to show it in the way you serve. Again, if we live that out the way Jesus wants us to live it out, it would be obvious to the world that we are Christians. It would be so obvious because it's so contrary to the kingdom of the world, and yet a lot of us from day to day still look too much like the kingdom. We wake up every day and say, how can I advance my career today? How can I get the last dollar today? How can I exalt myself today? How can I promote myself today? How can I present myself in, on social media today as somebody that's got it all together? And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. In fact, in another passage in Matthew, in chapter 23, verse 12, he says, whoever humbles themselves will be exalted, and whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. And it doesn't happen right away. You can humble yourself and be persecuted for doing right. You can bow and serve others and not get a word of gratitude on this side of heaven. But let me just say this. The ones who spent time in the dirt on earth, they're the ones that are going to get a standing ovation in heaven. The ones that got no limelight, they got no spotlight, they got no attention day after day, week after week, year after year, doing the work that God has called them to do without seeking any praise or applause and doing the dirty work. Those are the ones who are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and hear, well done. And they're going to receive great reward in the kingdom of God. You know, when I was at seminary, I've spoken about this at great length over the years. The, the job that I had prior to working in the registrar's office is I drove a trash truck on third shift, 9 p.m. to 7 a.m., picking up trash, changing bags, uh, running the sweeper. And I found out later that that is a pretty common job for a seminary student. I had a lot of friends in seminary that drove a trash truck. 
And you think about that, why is it? And I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus brought me to the absolute place of being broken in that job. To realize if you want to serve my people, you better pick up some trash. That's the kind of servants he's looking for. That's the kind of servants I pray for this church and this community. We have got to be people who are willing to set aside our reputation, to set aside any honor or glory, to serve other people. Because that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus says. He says in verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. So how do I sum this up? In one sentence. Jesus now hands us our towel to take in faith and humbly obey. So will you take your towel? Jesus now hands us our towel to take in faith and humbly obey. Will you take your towel? I did take a towel from the fellowship hall. And I will put it back, Miss Annie Jean. Jesus took our towel. Again, when he walked into the upper room, there was no house servant, but there was a towel, and there was water, and there was a basin, and the disciples walked right past the towel that was made for them. And Jesus took it for them. Jesus took it for them, again, eternally by becoming one of us, but he also took it as our teacher to show us And now he hands the towel back to us and he asks for faith and obedience. First, how do you take the towel in faith? By realizing you cannot make yourself clean. By realizing that Jesus already took this towel and made you clean if you're a Christian. You cannot be good enough to go to heaven. Heaven is not for good people. Heaven is for redeemed people. You need to receive this towel in faith that he has already made you clean. But then you receive this towel in obedience and you get on your hands and knees and you point other people to Jesus who can make them clean. And while you're doing that, you serve the way the master served. Cedar Street, I call you in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, take your towel. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the upper room that the master was willing to become the servant, that the honored seat at the table was one that was left vacant so that he would rise from supper. He would take a towel meant for us. He would wrap it around his waist He would reach for the water and pour it into the basin. And foot after foot, he would take in his hands and wipe away the dirt and the grime of the pathways of Palestine. And he did it for us. He did it for everyone who in faith would put their feet out and say, Jesus, I need to be clean. And for those of us that you've made clean, Lord, 
We take the towel from you and we point them to you that you would make them clean as well and we would serve them the way that you serve them, Lord. Your kingdom is not of this world. It's not. And your kingdom, the way up is down and we've been spending too much time up and we need to get down. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to take our towel and to serve you by serving others and pointing them to you, the only one who can make us clean. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.